Our inner passions reveal themselves through our words, and maybe more honestly through our wallets. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But we know that words can conceal our feelings as well as reveal them. If you want to know what someone really values, follow the money. In the opening verses of Luke 21, Jesus drew his disciples' attention to a certain woman who gave almost nothing, but it was everything. Here's Pastor Jim. Jesus sees you. That's the first thing we want to take from this passage. The Lord Jesus Christ wants us to know that he is very serious about our gifts, not just in dollars and cents, but in our lives. He is watching our lives. The second thing Jesus wants us to know is that he knows each giver. The passage tells us that Jesus knew the rich and he saw them casting great amounts of money into the treasury. He also saw a certain poor widow. A certain poor widow. Many times in religious circles, the certain poor widows are absolutely ignored. Even in Christian circles, Contrary to what James teaches us in James chapter 2, that we're not to give special attention to or special attention and care to the wealthy, uh, contrary to that, we often do that, don't we? We try to influence the wealthy and the privileged and the positioned, and somehow we think that that makes our church acceptable or Renown, not Jesus. See, uh, Jesus knew the givers, and he knew everyone well enough that he could then weigh the gifts. He said of this woman that she was casting in all her livelihood. He said that out of her poverty, she was casting in all her livelihood. Now, what she cast in was two mites. It was the smallest coin that was circulating in the time of Jesus. And that coin is valued today roughly one-eighth of a penny. In other words, if you had eight of these, and if we were in the the same kind of monetary system, if you had eight of the things, the coins that she tossed into the treasury, you would have the equivalent today of one penny. That's not much value, is it? And Jesus knew that on the face, that was a very insignificant gift. One quarter of one penny. And yet Jesus knew, Jesus knew that that gift she had given was her livelihood. That was the money she would need to buy groceries. That was the money she would need to pay the rent. That's the money she would need to pay her taxes. According to Jewish law, two mites was the smallest offering that a person could give. 
But that's all she had. She gave it. Jesus noted that the wealthy gave out of their abundance. That is, they had lots left over. Whereas this dear lady gave out of her need all that she had. So Jesus watches our giving, and Jesus knows the giver. He knows your circumstances. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. And with Jesus, the gift is an extension of the person, not a substitute for the person. The third thing we know from the passage is that Jesus then weighs the gifts. He puts value on the gifts, and he makes this startling statement that this poor widow, in her gift of two mites, had given more than the wealthy with their huge, lavish, ostentatious gifts. How can that be? Well, it can be two ways. First of all, it can be that because she gave everything she had, she has given a hundred percent. There's nothing else that she can give, see? She's, she's given it all. And in that sense, since she has nothing left in balance, she has given the greatest gift. Whereas those who gave and the balance on the check stub was larger than the gift, or there was quite a bit left in the bank after their check had cleared, they hadn't really given that much. It tells us that Jesus weighs our gifts according to the capacity we have to give. Many years ago, before many of you ever came to Grace, we were desperately looking to find out how we could increase spaces here on this campus for Sunday school ministries and ancillary ministries that are so vital, so very, very important to any church. At that time, we were renting space from the Columbus school system, and we had a middle school complex down off of High Street, close to where the elementary building is today. The man who was in charge of facilities at that time accepted the challenge of one of our widows. They met, had coffee, went down. She walked with him through the building. They came up here. They walked through the building. At the close of that little tour, this lady said, I think our church needs to move the middle school from down there where we're paying rent, up here on this campus, so that we can use those facilities seven days a week. And then she said, I must care for my brother, so my resources are challenged. But I have a small savings account and I would be willing to loan that interest-free to the church to get this project started. Look around you. Look around you. 
all the buildings on this campus, outside the building in which you sit, are the fruit of that widow's faith. She didn't have much, she said. But what she had, she wanted used for the glory of God. And in her judgment, that process of education in the junior high school and the use of those facilities on Wednesday night, Thursday night, Tuesday night, Sunday, merited the investment of all that she had. I made a note the day she told me about that. Actually, she didn't tell me. The staff member came to me and told me about this. And we began the process of informing the various folks and so forth and so on in the church. But that date was the day when God began to put the burden upon the hearts of many people in our congregation. And today, you look at the temporary facilities out there that are being used by the middle school. You look at the commons. You look at the gymnasium. Just go on and on and on and look. All of that took place after that dear lady stepped up and made that offering. You see, God honored her gift because she gave according to her capacity. And that's what God delights. Let, let, me, let me put that in contrast for you. Turn over in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5 for just a moment. Acts chapter 5. Uh, here's another offering service in the early church. The Lord Jesus Christ has gone back to heaven now. The Holy Spirit has come. He indwells every believer at the moment of their salvation. And, and we read in Acts chapter 4 that all the people who were believers uh, came together. And look at what it says in verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things that he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Verse 34, nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made to each as anyone had need. Tells us Barnabas did the same thing. Chapter 5, verse 1, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds. See, kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it. And he brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. Apparently what happened was Ananias wanted to be thought of as doing what the widow did. He sold the piece of property and he wanted to bring a part of what he had made and give that part and have everybody in the church think, aha, he has given it all. Who put that idea in his mind? Peter says, Satan filled your heart. Who was concerned about that? Was it Peter? Was Peter concerned? No. See, he lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, look what Peter says in verse 4. While it remained, was it not, was it not your own? When you still had that piece of land, 
It was yours. You didn't have to sell it. Nobody came, put a gun next to your head and said you had to sell it. It was yours. After a soul, was it not under your control? That is all of the resources, the whole price that you received for selling the land. That was all under your control. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as a result, God discounted an offering and they carried him out and buried him. His wife comes in a few hours later. You know the story. Verse 8, Peter says to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, so much. Peter says, how is it you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? You're sitting there saying, I didn't think God was quite that concerned about my offering, about the management of my money. Ah, oh, yeah, he's very much involved because the management of, the, of your money is the expression of your heart. Look at the last phrase there. How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? She falls down, dies. Verse 11, so great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. I should think so. What it tells us is that our stewardship, our responsibility for managing those things that God has placed in our care, God takes very seriously. That's what it's telling us. And when we're not honest in these matters, we're lying to God, not to the church, not to the elders, but to God. Because it's his stuff that you're managing. Well, God watches us as we give. God knows each of us intimately. When God values and weighs the gift that we give, he weighs and values it against what we have left over. And this woman is singled out as someone who had nothing left over. Out of her poverty, she gave everything she had. Now, the last point in the message this morning is how God cares for the giver. We don't have that record in Luke. We don't know who paid this woman's rent. We don't know where she got her next meal. We're, we're, we're left in the dark about that. But we're not left in the dark as to God's response to widows who give themselves this way. Turn back to 1 Timothy and note with me in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that God is very concerned about these kinds of givers. 1 Timothy chapter 5. It says in verse 3, honor widows who are really widows. And then it says in verse 4 that if, if I'm a believer and I have a parent, a widow, a relation of mine who is in need as a child of God, I am to repay them, my parents. I'm to care for them. That's my holy obligation. See that? Verse 4, if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. God is concerned about my parents. God is concerned about your parents. 
And God is concerned about how we respond to them and how we respond to them and caring for them is a matter God takes seriously. As she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. She's trusting in God. And what does God do in response to that? Well, he orders the church here to have a list of widows, and you read about that down in verse 9. There's to be a list of the widows who are widows indeed, who are alone trusting God. And it says that she's a widow who, verse 9, is not under 60 years of age. Uh, she has been the wife of one man. She is well reported of for good works. She's brought up children. She's lodged strangers. She's washed the saints' feet. She's relieved the afflicted. She has diligently followed every good work. What are we supposed to do with these widows who are widows indeed, who have spent themselves in glorious service to God? What are we supposed to do? Well, we're to care for them. Verse 16, if any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them. And do not let the church be burdened. Do not let the church be burdened. That it may relieve those who are indeed widows or widows indeed. So the point I want you to see this morning is that God not only watches us give, he not only knows the giver, but he weighs the gift. And for those who give like this widow gave, God makes provision for their need. He puts a responsibility, a stewardship upon the children to care for mom and dad. And he puts a responsibility on the church, the body believers, to care for those whose kids either won't or aren't around. So let's reverse the mirror for a minute this morning. When God sees our church and weighs our use of the offerings that he gives, are we good stewards toward those who are widows indeed? Now, these aren't just ladies that walk off the street. These aren't just men that happen. These are people who have spent their lives doing what the good widow did. And God makes the church responsible for their care. One of the great sad things that's happened in our country is called Social Security. It's a system by which the politicians can dip into resources that they should not be spending and rob the working American. It's a travesty. It's a system that causes all of us in our lifetime to look to Washington for our future. It's a system that robs families of resources they could legitimately use to meet the needs of their own members. And it's a system that is amoral. Washington has no concern about your morality. It's a system 
tends to turn our country into the mad pursuit of, quote, retirement, end of quote, and looking to Uncle Sam to fund it. Bad, 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 bad. But that's the economy in which we live. In the midst of that economy, we dare not forsake God's economy. God's economy is based upon honoring the widows who give all that they have. In the passage before us, the Lord Jesus is talking about dollars and cents, gifts that could be given to the treasury. The theme of Scripture, of course, is far beyond that. It goes to how we use our lives what we do with our energies, our talents, our time. Because where our treasure is, our heart will be, and where our heart will be, our treasure is as well. Well, I kind of like this lady, don't you? We don't know her name. But she receives such an incredible honor from the Lord Jesus Christ. Next time you think about your giving, your stewardship, your life, follow her example. You tell us, Lord Jesus, that if we'll do that, that uh, you will make much of our gift you will multiply it far beyond anything that we could imagine, far beyond anything that we could ever, ever calculate. That these gifts given to you are sacred and they're important to you, not because you need our money, but because they express the attitude of our hearts. Teach us to be like this dear lady who was willing to totally, completely depend upon you and use every means at her disposal to honor you. May we be willing to weigh ourselves against her example. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We don't know the name of the widow who gave all that she had, and no doubt that's exactly the way she would have wanted it. On the other hand, some give primarily to be fawned over. Jesus pointed this out as a huge stumbling block, our quest to be admired by other human beings. Jim has entitled this sermon, The Livelihood. If you'd like an audio copy on CD, we'll send that to you for a gift of $7 or more. It's part of our ongoing discussion on special works Jesus did. And that 13-sermon series is available on CD for your offering of $45 or more. I'll give you a few seconds to find a pen. If Right Start seems like a beacon of light in these dark times, you can help keep it shining brightly. Your contributions and prayers make a difference, especially in summer when vacations and nice weather pull us out of our routines. Thank you for whatever you can do. Please connect with us on the website, rightstartradio.org. We've got streaming audio for you there, both radio programs and full sermons. There's a link to the iTunes podcast so you can receive new Right Start shows automatically on your mobile device. 
We've got ways to donate and communicate with us and a lot more. Drop by soon. Rightstartradio.org. Or mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. You can call us at 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. I'm Dan Pope. Thanks for listening. On his last night with his disciples, Jesus wanted to spend time with them. Unfortunately, they let him down. But maybe we can learn from their mistakes. Tomorrow, we'll think about the value of an hour. Please join us again for Friday's Right Start. Thank you.